you've got a great idea. It's something you're passionate about and you can't wait to get started. But then doubt sets in. You start worrying about whether you're not good enough, that somebody else has already done it better, or it costs too much and it's just not worth the effort. Before you know it, your idea is collecting dust and you feel frustrated and stuck. Most successful people didn't become successful by waiting for the perfect opportunity or the perfect idea. They took action on their ideas, even if they weren't perfect, and learned as they went along. In this episode, author, entrepreneur, community builder, and ever-evolving innovator Chris Kremitos took time out of his busy schedule at FinCon 22 to sit down with me to share his thoughts. Chris shared his perspective on the differences between a wantrepreneur and an entrepreneur. We explore the dangers of comparing yourselves to others, and we delve into the importance of being honest with yourself as an innovator and how it is an essential factor regardless of how uncomfortable it feels. I'm Bob Wheeler, and this is Money You Should Ask where we explore why we do what we do when it comes to money. Chris Kremitos is the founder of the PodFest Multimedia Expo, an international conference providing content creators with opportunities to build relationships and their podcasts' YouTube channels. Chris has also made it into the book of Guinness World Records two years in a row as he championed the largest attendance for a virtual podcasting conference in a week. It's time to break free from the chains of perfectionism that are holding you back. Start ugly and see how much more fun and growth you can experience. Buy Chris's book, Start Ugly, today to find out how. And if you're a content creator, go and grab your ticket to PodFest Multimedia Expo, January 26th through 29th, 2023. That's podfestexpo.com. You won't regret it. Chris, it's so great to have you on the show. I'm excited to be. We're here at FinCon, and uh, PodFest is what you do. And, you know, so I'm sort of curious. Did you decide, like, I'm going to create this festival so I can have lots of things to do and I can make millions and billions of dollars? <laughs> Obviously, that's ask like someone that knows something about events. No, we started actually at a meetup with 13 people, and I just said we're going to allow it to grow as far as the community wants it to grow, and we just kept doubling in size, and we haven't stopped. For you, what's the biggest? You might have had a day job before, but I and maybe you still have a day job, but this would seem like it's a lot of work. So yeah, I was very fortunate in that before I started Podfest, I actually owned a community event for business owners. So I had a lot of experience doing it, and we were very fortunate to have an exit in that, and that afforded me the room to literally do PodFest without having to make money the first few years yeah. and allowing it to grow on its own. And a wife that also has income coming in, so that really, without her support, it couldn't have been possible. So you're basically riding on her coattails. <laughs> right now I am. She's uh, Katie's the largest meditation podcaster in the world for women. Oh, wow. she's, she's it, yeah. Um, all right. I love it. So let me ask you this. You started podcasting. What got you initially into podcasting? I mean, you found this community, but for PodFest, but again, was it like, I just want people to hear my message. I could get really, really, really rich really quick. Cause some people think that like that you do five podcasts and you're a multimillionaire. 
So I'm a purist. I used to do public access for fun. And if anyone knows what public access is, because now we have social media. Right. But public access was fun because all the knuckleheads in society would show up there. And you liked it because everybody was an oddball. And I loved it. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, I got thrown off the airwaves there uh, for pushing the envelope on what could go on TV and what can't. And I started that community group for business owners. So later on, I did a meetup and a friend of mine said, I talk about apps on a podcast. And I said, how many people listen? He goes, 4,000. About what? He goes, Android apps. And I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around. I go, is this 4,000 yearly? Is this 4,000 every decade? He goes, no, every, every Wednesday. And I go, you're at home in your underwear? He goes, well, not always, but yeah, basically. <laughs> and I said, you know, I got to learn. And what I realized as someone that's been in the game... On-demand audio lagged about eight years behind on-demand video. So YouTube and all these other platforms took off before audio ever did. Right. And the reason is audio is a habit. Like we listen to audio when we're driving to work at the time, right? With COVID, things changed. Right, right. Well, you know, you need a phone that's Bluetooth enabled and then you need a car that's Bluetooth enabled. So it created an eight-year lag because you don't turn in your car every eight years. Right. So I saw this opportunity of like, you know what? This is a great area where I could help a lot of people get started. I missed the YouTube even though I was there in the early days, I knew that there was a lot there. So instead of starting a podcast, I saw myself as like a Pied Piper to help a lot of people. So we literally helped thousands of people get started. And how does somebody make their mark? And maybe there's no perfect one answer, but to me, the podcast world is like an ocean and there's a whole bunch of fish and then there's some dead fish and there's some trash and you got to sort of like, hey, look at me. Like, even though you're in this big ocean, it's still hard to get visibility sometimes. Yeah, so you, you're familiar with celebrities and comedians, I know. Like, yep. you understand how that world works. So those people, a lot of people will confuse, hey, a comedian started and they got 5,000 downloads. And it's like, yeah, that person's been working for 10 years. Right. Building right. an audience, literally living out of hotel rooms and cars half the time. So I always love when people are like, how come I can't do it? Well, because you didn't do 10 years of work before they even started their show. Um, for someone that's not famous. Right. I always give them a couple of things. One is think about the keyword of your show. Is it something I'm going to look up? So for instance, I met an event planner one time when I was traveling around the country and she said, I'm going to create an event planning podcast. And I said, what are you going to call it? And she told me her pet's name. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> and, and it's going to be my pet's name podcast. I said, who told you that was a good idea? She said, all my friends and my family. I go, but I'm looking for an event planner. I'm not looking for your pet. Right. She goes, you think that's a problem? I go, yeah, it's, it's a big problem. And she goes, but there's a lot of other event planners. And I said, that's good. That means other people are looking for that information. So let's say you, you keyworded it right, but now your biggest hurdle is like, but Chris, all these other people have the same thing. Right. Well, what's the format? And you know this from dealing with comedians. Some comedians have very different deliveries than others. So what is your format? Right. Is it differentiating? Are you the, the person that's going to do a five-minute podcast? Is it a half hour? Is it long form like Rogan who does three hours? So you got to exploit the formats and then what is the value you're bringing to the table? And I always say to people, you could do your podcast for as long as it's interesting. If you're starting to stretch out content, to stretch it out, you should stop right when it stop being interesting. And when is it okay to do a five-minute podcast? I mean, I feel like if I'm going to go to all the trouble to set up the audio and set up the, wait a minute, talk for five minutes? I mean, and maybe I just like to hear myself talk, but five minutes feels short. It really depends on what the format is like if you want to do a talk show then you should be doing a long form right but some people want an audience and they have a business back-end purpose whatever it is 
So a lot of the productivity shows, maybe it's five minutes of productivity. That'll do well, just the word productivity alone. Uh, my wife does meditations. Uh, she has a friend, Shell, who does meditation minis. Right. Those are all short because people, if they don't like their boss, they go in their car and they will literally, they'll listen for five or ten minutes to calm down before they go back to work. Yeah, so like, you know, there's these weird um, hacks that whatever, human behavior. So I don't, I, don't, I don't care about short or long. I would just say exploit what what is an opportunity for you to grow. And then from there, maybe you could add a long form show, you know. Now, if you're doing a meditation podcast, you probably don't want to be driving in your car, just sitting in your car when you go to sleep and close your eyes. I'll tell you another one on a meditation podcast. You don't want to put an ad in the middle or at the end of the show. If you want to see, if you want to yeah. see the calmest people hate you like you've never seen before, just wait for those Apple reviews to come in. And almost every meditation podcast, we all have the same experience. Did you try that? It's like, yeah, we learned within a day. You don't do that. That is so funny. It's <laughs> not like, the middle, but the mm, end. <laughs> find your inner peace. How about Tasties? <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's got a special or something. What? That's too funny. Now, how do you like? You don't just do financial podcasts. Like, you're here at FinCon, and there are people out there that are really excited to talk about actuarial tables. Not necessarily the most riveting for everybody, but there's somebody out there that wants to know about actuarial tables. That's a great niche. And, like, believe it or not, the weird niche stuff. Like, um, I'll give you an example. Last week, I was at Animal Creator Con. These are people that talk about animals. So there's a gentleman that talks about chameleons, right. and he sells chameleon cages. So he has thousands of people that listen uh, and I could go on and on on the verticals. Now, obviously, finance and business is a very big uh, part of our, our conference. Health and wellness, there's a lot of unique. There's just so many niches. I would say the more niche you are, the better off you probably are in creating a show. Yeah, and I, it seems to me that if you're passionate about something, there are probably a few other people out there. And if you stick to your passion and don't worry about what Billy and Sally are doing, but just sticking to your like this is what this is what I want to put out in the world and trust that and and sort of see where you land. Yeah, and don't compare yourself to other people. It's some people build really great audiences with a couple hundred, some people build audiences with thousands. Some people are fortunate enough that for whatever reason their message resonates to millions, but those are very rare. So if you're I always say like try and be happy with what you're creating. If you're happy and you're impacting someone, that I think that's a really good thing in the world. So this is a financial podcast. Yep. So I'm going to ask, did you as a, as a kid say, man, I want to manage podcast events. I want to be super, super rich. Where, did you grow up in a, a super wealthy family? So, what so my was... last name is Kremitzos. Okay. I, everybody that I grew up with in New York owned a diner. Okay. So I mild marked every neighborhood by the diner that was there. That's how I knew where you were at, right? So as a little kid, I would draw little diners. I was going to own all the diners in New York. <laughs> that was what I was doing in school. I would draw little diners and then just... I would Mine. Have, I would start doing cash flow projections <laughs> for diners. And of course, I didn't understand that they only work on very slim margins. Oh. But back in the day, you know, old school diner owners, they didn't necessarily... Everything was cash. So let's just leave yeah, it at it that. It didn't make it to the books sometimes. They were making let's... a lot of money, but not in the right ways. But anyways... um. With, I actually, believe it or not, as a kid, I used to watch television and I would yell at the TV because I thought I could program it better than the television. So that lends itself to programming community events. Yeah. For what, it's a weird thing. But as a kid, I'd, I'd be like, they're programming it all wrong. So I do like programming. And like, you know, you deal with 
like you've seen this comedy lineups there is an energy flow if you do it right it could oh, be yeah. amazing oh, yeah. and there's a, another way that you could do it and it's so it's like building on i love that stuff yeah don't put the blue comic up first <laughs> right right ruins the whole show so when you were growing up and everybody owned diners how important was money to you did you know it was important did you care less I, I knew money was important because my father was the most educated of his brothers he had an engineering degree and he was the poorest um, my uncle's my one uncle literally signs with an X I've seen it literally and he was very well off and he was an entrepreneur so when you see that kind of um, disparity you're like wait a minute my dad's the most educated one of and the the ones that are more entrepreneurial did much better uh it makes you think and i had a moment when i was 13 years old my dad brought me into work at the diner with my uncle gus my uncle gus asked me to when the industrial dishwasher comes up there's a lot of heat like steam right right he said to me you got to put your hands through the steam and get burned to be quick enough to work here and i said as a little kid i was like i'm not putting my hands in there but he was he's from the old country yeah he's like you got to build the calluses so you could be fast in this diner uh, I remember during lunch break, he gave me a $50 bill, which was a lot of money back then. And he said, don't ever come back here again. And I was speechless. And after he said that, he was uh, the patriarch of our family. He said to me, I saw you during lunch break talking to the customers. He goes, you have a skill I wish I had. You're very good with people and you're very good with conversating with people. He goes, I want you to go to school, learn how to make money like these business owners that come from Wall Street and you'll may have a better life than me. Otherwise, I don't want you working here 70 hours a week like I do. I don't have a life. He goes, I'm, I, I'm lucky if I go home a few hours a week. He goes, don't ever come back here again. And if you, if, if you decide after you pursue that life, you want to come back here, I'll welcome you with open arms. But until then, tell your dad not to bring you in here again. Change my life forever. Wow. And do you think, like, just because of his life experience, he's able to see how he wanted to pay it forward with... I think Family. My, my grandfather was very, when I say old country, I mean old country. My poor uncle wasn't allowed to go to school past seven or eight years old. And I think he missed that. And he saw with me the way I was talking to people as a 13-year-old. Yeah. He's like, this kid could have a different future. You know, when you're 13, you don't, you don't see anything unless someone points it out. And when someone points it out that dramatically, you definitely take notice. Yeah. So I, I love business, but I noticed... Um, at 29 years old, I was miserable chasing money. And I realized I had to chase, if I was to create uh, money, it was in the pursuit of um, doing something good in the world. So communities are very hard things to do and build, but it was very rewarding for me. And I said, you know what, I'll make my money around other things that maybe the community needs that I could service without having to sell them a course or a back end, which nothing wrong with it, but I wanted it for the purity of the community. And it served me well. Now, I don't make a lot of money up front, but over time, if you're able to last long enough, it's a very good living. So would you say, because um, a lot of people like, I want to make a lot of money and I, that's, and I will find happiness when I find lots of money. Yeah, so I found happiness. And even though I wasn't making like, I mean, literally I had to borrow 35,000 from an angel investor and that's nothing, 35,000. Right. When you think of the grand scheme of things, but that 35 grand got me past we knew in 18 months we were going to be profitable as a business because we had membership fees. This is before PodFest. Right. And that uh, that 35000 saved saved our that business, and I was able to grow it and then sell it as an asset and pay him back. For me, I was happy. Everybody has a different thing. I was happy making 40000 a year and servicing a community yeah. with no other expectations for 10 years. Right. Luckily, I made more 
as I lasted each year. So let's just say that my break even now I'm making 40, and then you made 60, then you learn how to make maybe 100,000. Wasn't you're not making millions, but it was um, it was a great life. And when I sold that community, it was one of the most heart wrenching. So this is one you hear about this. I sold a business that I loved, and I was more depressed after I sold that business. And that's why I put all the TLC I had learned into Podfest, and I learned a lot through the process. Do you share money values with your wife? She and I actually talk very uh, deeply about money values. We spend, very luckily, my mom moved close to us here in Florida. So on the weekends, the kids go there, and we actually literally do strategy of where the money goes. Um, we, we do like Bitcoin, so we have an investment thing on Bitcoin. We, we overdosed on it a little bit, so now we've eased up a little bit. But we like real estate. We own a duplex, uh, which really helped us during the lean times because we went one side. So, yes, we're, we're very active because we want... One of the things we want is a farm for um, a sanctuary animals. So we're working towards that in about a year or two to have that so we could put, you know. But we also need a caretaker. So we don't want to necessarily want, because we travel a lot. So part of the financing is, okay, what does a caretaker cost? So if we do this right, we need someone to help take care of the animals when we're not there. Now, did you and your wife talk about money before you got married? Like, you're on the same page now, but were those conversations, did they come easy? Um, a lot of people, a money conversations means we're going to fight? So, no, I'll, we had a really interesting journey. So, I was an entrepreneur that had let go of the fear of losing money and making money, which is maybe a little extreme. Right. My wife had a job that was stable when we first met, and she wanted to be an entrepreneur. So she was an entrepreneur, which is nothing wrong with that. The problem with the entrepreneur is they haven't felt the fact that you don't have money for an $18 martini right. until they feel that. And they might, I, I remember this, this was my wife went out with her friends. She had left her job and she couldn't buy the $18, whatever the martini, you know, they went there. Her friends were high powered uh, sales for like healthcare. They're making good money. Right. And then they turned on her. Not in a bad way. They're just like, you, what do you mean you can't afford this? Well, you know, I have a budget now. And unfortunately, that group of friends eventually moved on by stop inviting. And it was just devastating for her. And I had to walk her through that journey. Yeah. And she had a, a turning point at a Tony Robbins event. And that event helped her understand that you have to let go of what the past was in order for the future to blossom. And from that point on, literally things changed money started flowing in because she wasn't looking at what wasn't there in the bank, if that makes sense. Yeah. But what can be there? And that's a very big shift for, and when that happened, she and I were on the same page. Yeah. She sort of had to get her hands in the steam. Yeah. I, I could only do so much. She made, that was all her working on it. Well, you do have to feel, you know, it's interesting. I have a CPA practice and I'll hire CPAs from time to time. And on their resumes, they have like five months self-employed, right? And there's a lot of CPAs, they're amazing. They know how to do taxes, but they don't know how to collect the money. They don't know how to do the billing. And they're like, I just want my paycheck, which I get, you know, because it's a lot. Yeah, and your own business. it's great for people that want to hire CPAs. You know, I always say if I'm hiring someone to work, I don't necessarily want them to be entrepreneurial. Right. I want them to want to have a job and work with me because it's just really easier than, you know, two years later, they're already off and I'm trying to build something. Well, it's funny because I basically help run three different companies and I'll hire people and I don't want anybody that's part-time. I'm like, if you have interest, you can do them outside, but I need you focused on my stuff. And 
it's a comedy store. I don't want comics working most of the jobs right. except the door because I need you doing your job, not telling jokes. Yeah, yeah, right. not looking at the next guy writing. Yeah, wait, stuff, oh, right? that's good. That's good. Right, and so it's always. Uh, yeah, do as I say, not as I do, because I, I want to have solid people that I can count on so I can go out and do multiple things. That's We've come to that conclusion as well, uh, having some amazing people. Having someone that wants a job, wants to do it well, there's a really good value for that. If you know, It's great to have entrepreneurs, but they're always, like many of us, they're looking at the opportunities around. Yeah. I, I want to go back to this uh, entrepreneur. So are there a lot of folks out there that... They want it, but it's maybe still a little bit too scary. Or what What keeps people from just being a wantrepreneur? So I had a debate with a friend of mine, and, and you know, you have the CPA background. But I remember he, he was saying, I'm an entrepreneur. And I said, no, you still have a job. You're not an entrepreneur yet. And he'd say, why is that? I go, you might have a side hustle, but an entrepreneur, to me, my definition, because there's also business builders. These are people that either buy companies and grow them. Yes, that's entrepreneurial, but an entrepreneur is willing to start something uh, and let go of all security for the opportunity of making something out of that. Whether they know it's going to happen or not, they're willing for it to fail right. and willing to go all in. To me, that's a, the pure sense of an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is someone that has stability in a job or an income source, and they're playing around with entrepreneurship, but they could always go back. And yeah. to me, until they make that transition... It's not a full-time entrepreneur, and I didn't coin the term. I don't know who did, but an entrepreneur is someone that, and they, if you're doing seminars, they're the best buyers of courses because entrepreneurs, unfortunately, and fortunately, they <laughs> feast and famine. There's times that they have money. Yeah. Because remember, I had a business associates of business owners. Yeah. And there's times they have none. Right. Uh, depending on what cycle they're going through, whereas a entrepreneur always has money to buy the next course. Right. So focus on the entrepreneurs for your funneling. No, that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, it's interesting. Like I, I was reading or watching a video. Elon Musk, you know, people were like, you're so lucky. And it, he said, oh, man, I, I was like inches away from failure and losing everything. And I caught a break or the wind shifted. And so I think people look at that and go, oh, he's so lucky or, or all these, you know, folks. Uh, you know what's interesting about Elon uh, he was on Rogan, but as a kid, he had to scrap because he's he's on the spectrum. So his communication uh, uh, is very cerebral for him, and he's processing all the time. But he was in hundreds of fights. So to me, that is as entrepreneurial as it gets. He's he's going to fight for everything he has. Yeah. And you're 100% right. There's many times where he didn't know where the next paycheck would, would show up, but he, he just had faith. And I think that's what you you got to do when you're, when you're doing this stuff. You sort of got to have faith. You got to... Like, if you trust yourself, and that's the thing, you know, like you were talking about the, the woman that wanted to name a podcast after a pet, right? Your friends may not be the best indicators or reflecting back in a way because they're going to be like, yeah, 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 everything you do is amazing. And sometimes you need the hard truth of, yeah, that didn't work for me or being able to take in feedback of all types, positive and negative. I'm sure you've probably seen this show live, but I've only watched on YouTube. You watch Kill Tony or you've probably been at the tapings? Yeah. Sometimes the comics that come up there, you're thinking, where'd you get the feedback? Like, did anyone give you feedback before right. you showed up there? Because it's such a great opportunity. Right. And you know that no one has, they've only gotten positive feedback, but it's so bad. Yeah. There's nothing that is, you know, someone that knew something could help them before they get there. But that's part of Kill Tony. You got great sets and a lot of really bad sets well you know it's so interesting with with comics i 
there's a few people out there. They'll they'll tape your show. They'll do a sta- you know b- beginner stand up comedy class, and then they'll film you, and then for an extra thirty bucks, they'll edit in laughter. And these people come in. They're from like I'm not picking on Iowa, but they're like you know from Podunk, Iowa. Right. They could be from Tennessee, you know. And their three minutes of comedy is painful at best. But they'll edit it, put in some laughter and people applauding. And they go back home to Iowa and they're like, look what I did. I'm a stand up. And you're like, huh. And nobody had the you know, kindness to shoot them and put them out of their misery. Um, and we don't always want to hear the feedback. You know, comics like, oh, no, it was just everybody was laughing. No, it was silent. And that wasn't three minutes. That was an hour. You didn't get off stage, right? But in our own mind, we have a different story going on than reality. So I guess the lesson there is you might think you're getting over on someone, but you're really not. You're getting over on yourself. So the more truthful you could be with yourself, the faster you could get to where you want to go. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it's always fun. All right. Well, the great thing about doing a live interview is you never know what's going to happen. So like somebody just threw this little book at me. Maybe you recognize it. It's uh, Start Ugly. Yep. You started ugly. What What I happened? Think, I think everybody started ugly. So, yeah, it's a, it's actually not autobiographical. It's a uh, short story, a fiction story that I wrote to teach people that it's okay to start ugly. I always say the book is not Start Ugly, Stay Ugly. It's Start Ugly and Perfectly Execute Along the Way. But when I started, the, there's a story in the very beginning. My first event was at an American Legion in Florida in June. The air condition busted. And the Legionnaire smoked cigars the night before. <laughs> oh, no. So to say that the event... And I remember someone said, why didn't you do this at a hotel? And I said, I didn't know I could do it at a hotel. That's how like clueless I was. Yeah. But the people that attended saw past all of that. And they saw that I cared about building a community. 25 people joined. And then the next month, we were still at the Legion. I think it took me the third month to get at a hotel. Because it took book a hotel. I should move on. <laughs> but that, that started my uh, career in events. Uh, and I think if you look at the greatest in the world... They started ugly somewhere, and then they just got better. And I know you've seen it firsthand at the comedy store. Yeah. You see some people, maybe their sets aren't that great, but there's something there. And then years later, as a polished rock, you're like, how'd they get there? Well, they had to start somewhere. Because they were ugly. <laughs> Super yeah, ugly. That, that term resonates with people for whatever reason. And it, I, I, I like it because it robs them of the excuse of having to be perfect to start. And, and it has a seven step of like, here, just get it right to this much, get started, and then move on. Well, you know, you mentioning that, it, you bring up a good point. A lot of people don't want to start because they're not doing it perfectly, um, whether it's a podcast, whether it's re- doing a course, whether it's it's whatever it is. It's like, oh, it's not perfect, so I'm just not going to do anything. Paying down debt? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I no. don't have enough, so I'll wait till next year. Well, if you just did 10 cents and then move, you know, Oops. slowly but surely, it, it pays down. And saving. Right? And I, both ways, yeah. I, when I work with people, I, I have them pay down debt and save. Right. Um, and some people say, no, no, you got to get through your debt. Well, I got to create a habit of saving. So even if I'm saving 10 bucks, I'm learning to save, right? And I have so many clients that will tell me, well, as soon as I sell my business, as soon as I get this bonus, as soon, it's not coming. Like maybe it is, but you're going to find another reason to spend. And you know this because you deal with business owners. Most business owners don't save. And the problem is their profit is in their business. And if anything happens to that business, they're screwed. Yeah. And, and the ones that do well usually own the real estate underneath their business or something. And that really saves them. But I couldn't agree with you more. Like you have to always, and that's something I had to learn the hard way with my wife. We're like, no, we force our savings plan. Even if we don't have something, what is the amount? It's got to be saved. 
Do you do automated savings so, at all? Yeah, now we do. We have different accounts. It just goes right in. See, I people are like, how many accounts? But for me, if I have a whole bunch of accounts, each taking 200 and 150 and 500, like then I'm like, oh, that, oh yeah, that's that. Now, I, I got to credit my wife with that. She manages it. But yes, we, we have tons of buckets where it all goes out. And even with the business, we put some away for profit. If we have to dip into it to pay a bill, we have to put it back to make sure that we're putting profit in the equation instead of saying, oh, profits next year. <laughs> right. Because I've been in that. Next year will be a profit. Next year is going to be. No, we That's have a to, very painful saying. <laughs> we have to outsmart ourselves because yeah. I think I'm so smart and then I self-sabotage, not even intentionally. So. Yeah, we have operating drives that, like you said, that work whether we realize it or not behind the scenes. So, Chris, we are now at the Fast Five. And today's Fast Five is brought to you by Nefi because they sponsored this whole podcast center here at FinCon. And Nefi stands for National Endowment for Financial Education. They're amazing. We're actually going to do Nefi in November with Money You Should Ask. We're doing uh, five podcasts with uh, all the folks there. So love Nefi. If you want to get financially literate, they've got some great resources. There's so many great resources out there. All right, Chris down and dirty. We're going to just see where we land. What was the most expensive tech gadget that you ever bought and was it worth it? Tech gadget, I'll say um, a minivan for my wife and it was well worth it. <laughs> but I think she bought it though. <laughs> well, you're riding on I her coattails. I bought it for her. Yeah. I, went, I went there and I said, give me your best salesperson. That's what I said. Oh, okay. The guy goes, you sure? I go, yeah, I want to buy a car. And my wife wasn't there. He looked at me like, you're buying a car for your wife and she's not here. I go, that's correct. <laughs> but it was the best thing we ever bought. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. As a kid, did you ever take any money out of your mom or dad's wallet? So, uh, unfortunately, my dad had a gambling problem, so it was reversed. He would take money out of my <laughs> wallet. His trick, God bless him, he's a great guy. But at the time, you know, gamblers are gamblers. He would give me some money to hide, and then he'd figure out where I hid it, and my oh. money would be gone. I was a saver, so it was the other way around. Uh, you know, and God bless parents. Um, great my dad, parents... but he, he had a habit, you know, horses... My parents struggled, and there were five kids, and sometimes the money in our piggy bank sort of disappeared, and so it made it hard for me to want to save for a long time, because I'm like, well, somebody's going to take it. Would so. they put an IOU in there? My dad no. would put an IOU. He had good intentions, but he would never pay it back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even get the IOU. <laughs> there would even... be a little paper, IOU. What would you do if you found a wad of $500 wrapped up in a rubber band walking down the street? So I like cash. I would definitely hold on to it. And then I usually give it out to uh, service providers that do a good job as a thank you. So a friend of mine is a masseuse. I'll give it to him. So I'll, because we're okay now. So I would find it to give it to people one at a time. I love it. I love it. What emotion do you experience the most when it comes to money? That's a great question. Um, I've detached a lot of emotion around money, so indifference. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's probably a good thing. Sometimes we've got it to. I still value it, but I don't have a lot of emotion attached to it. Yeah, that's good. Do you usually pick up the tab, split the bill evenly, hide, or figure out exactly to the penny what you owe for your portion of the meal in a large group? So I'm Greek. So as Greek, you have to fight for the tab, 
But if I don't have money, I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> so it depends where I'm at in the financial cycle. So if I'm doing well, I'm picking up the tab. If not, you don't see me for a while until someone picks it up. <laughs> All right. So the lesson here is eat out with the Greeks because they're going to cover your bill. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Well, Chris, we're at our M&M moment, our sweet spot of money and motivation. And I'm wondering if you have a practical financial tip or a piece of wealth wisdom that you could share with our listeners, something that's just worked for you and your wife. Well, we already talked about the buckets of money. Everything goes in different buckets. I will tell you this. I'm an extremist. So what's worked well for me in our relationship is she is not. She's more practical. She's an operational person. So what I've learned is because I'm an extremist, I need to trust her when I'm off the deep end with just some weird idea or something that, you know, we're going to do. So I have uh, learned to trust my wife and her decision because it balances out the way my brain works, which is in extremes. So we've, we've learned to balance where in the past I would create problems and fights. I've learned that that balance is actually a really good thing for the two of us. Right. She's too practical in some ways. I'm too extreme, but when you find that balance is actually a win-win for both of us. Yeah, and that's, I mean, the cool thing is when your partner's your partner's, it's not 99% one and 1% the other, you're both going to bring in your crazy and you're both going to bring in your your instincts and your guts and your knowledge. And so learning to trust. Find, finding that balance, I think, is probably the best thing I could ever, and it's great for both of us. Yeah, Absolutely. So, Chris, where can people find you online and social media? Where can they find out about PodFest? Where can they find out about Start Ugly? So, Start Ugly is on Amazon. Just look it up. You'll see the post-it note with the Start Ugly book cover. Um, you can find me any on any of the socials, Chris Kremitzos. Uh, if you misspell my name, it'll find the right name. And for PodFest, just type in PodFest. We are the official PodFest. So, PodFestExpo is our domain.com. But if you type in PodFest, it'll show up to our doors. We'd love to have anyone that wants to learn or create podcasting our doors always open all right one final question does everybody always get your name right the first time i i don't think i've ever heard i've heard it right maybe once or twice i'll say chris k or uh but kremitzos is easy to say but it's hard to pronounce when you're looking at the words phonetically it's not working right, right yeah <laughs> well chris it's been such a pleasure i appreciate you coming down and sharing a little bit of time here at fincom no, thanks for having this is fun and bob i appreciate it. and you have a great producer and anthony thank you both yeah thank you we hope you enjoyed this episode did you learn something new about your relationship to money today Maybe you have a friend who has some financial blocks or beliefs that are holding them back. Please share this podcast so they too can get off the roller coaster ride of financial fears and journey towards financial freedom. To learn how to have a healthy relationship with money, visit themoneynerve.com. That's nerve, not nerd. We'll be back next week with another perspective on money and the emotions that bind us. Ba-da, ba-da, ba-da.